American Capitalism, A History, with Lewis Hyman and Edward Baptist. The AMP was not alone in its growth. In 1920, their chain stores accounted for 4% of all the sales in America. By 1929, it accounted for 20%. So it's a, it's a huge institution that encompasses not just the AMP and the Piggly Wiggly, but W.T. Grant, Woolworths, Kresge's, many other kinds of five and dimes and other kinds of retail establishments that we think of today. It takes uh, a greater and greater market share away from existing small town ma and pa operations who could never compete with these prices. By 1927, there are 100,000 chain stores in America. And so there's a reaction that builds against these chain stores as they crowd out the older stores of downtown America. They crowd out these older retail establishments. The anti-chain store movement arose in opposition to this erosion of local retail. Consider the opposition coming from many of the same roots as those who opposed the Sears Roebuck catalog, the intrusion of a national economy, and often northern values upon small town life. So a lot of the reaction against this came out of the South. Consider William Old Man Henderson, who had one of the first radio stations in Shreveport, Louisiana. He was an adamant op op opponent of these new kinds of chain stores on his radio show. We have attempted to bring to light the ruinous and devastating effect of sending the profits of business out of our local communities to a common center, Wall Street. We have appealed to the fathers and mothers who entertain the fond hope of their children becoming prosperous business leaders to awaken to a realization of the dangers of the chain stores closing of this door of opportunity. We have insisted that the payment of starvation wages such as the chain store system fosters, must be eradicated. And so we can see in this a dream of an independent, small business America slowly being destroyed by the chain store. By 1927, three states, Georgia, Maryland, and North Carolina, had discriminatory taxes against chain stores, taxing them on the additional number of locations that they had. By 1931, um, 12 states had anti-chain store laws. And so this was a growing movement, especially as the depression seemed to hit America and people tried to figure out ways to stimulate local business. By 1929, 400 organizations across America were fighting the chain store menace. States looked to tax chain stores not only on what was in their state, but across state lines. This was thought to level the playing field so that all those economies that the chain stores gained would, not prevent, would prevent them from driving out local business, even if it meant higher prices for customers. The logical conclusion of this was Wright Patman, the noted legislator from Texas, who pushed for a bill to finally, once and for all, end chain stores, and especially the AMP. I do not care how much the absentee-owned chain apologists claim that they save the people on a purchase in a local community. Regardless of that, if they take their net profits out of town, eventually that town's business will collapse. This idea of Wright Patman's 
was to restore money to where the money was spent. And his plan was complex and radical. Patman's proposal signaled the final conflict between whether or not chain stores would be part of the American economy. He proposed a graduated tax which affected all chains of 10 or more stores. The first nine would be exempt from taxation. And then the tax began at 50 per store, and then 100, and then 200, and then 250. But the real kicker was that it would be multiplied by the number of stores that a number of states in which a chain store operated. Multiplication could be deadly. The AMP under Patman's plan would have to pay $471 million in taxes every year, despite earning a profit of only $9 million. So basically, Patman's tax would have driven the chain store out of existence. It ultimately didn't pass. This death sentence for the American chain store. The larger conflict over the chain store remains. The cultural meaning and economic meaning of it remained as it threatened small businesses everywhere. And so Patman's writings, which is better for the general welfare of all the people in this great country of ours? Will the country's interests be promoted in a better way by the million and a half retail stores being owned by more than a million local citizens? Or will the country be better off if these million and a half retail stores are owned and controlled by a few? are owned and controlled by a few. Today, these same questions are still relevant as we wrestle with the meaning of large stores like Walmart. For more information, go to edX.org and look for American Capitalism, A History with Lewis Hyman and Edward Baptist. Or go to facebook.com slash American Capitalism MOOC. This podcast has been brought to you by Cornell X from Cornell University.